0: Let's pray. Father God, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, we worship you. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us through creation and through your word and ultimately through your Son, Jesus Christ opened our eyes to the truth, helped us to know and understand that we need Jesus. And there is no salvation from our sin apart from Christ alone. So we ask, Lord, that you would work mightily here in this place at this time and, and through each and every one of us who has trusted in your name that the gospel would spread. Help us to be so much in awe of you this morning, that we carry it with us throughout our days. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and open up to John chapter 1. I just want us to take some time this morning to be in awe of Jesus. How, how, how often do you spend time just being in awe of God, Right? We know God, we've accepted Christ, we have our salvation in our back pocket and we go about our lives, right? But if we are not the most awe-inspired people on earth, our eyes have been opened to the truth of the creator of the universe, right? If we aren't the most awe-inspired people on earth, we are in a very sad state. We have indeed missed the mark. We don't understand. The faith that we say we have. If we are not the most excited, joyful, and sober people in the world, we've fallen into a trap. And it's, it's the same trap that Satan laid upon Adam and Eve in the beginning. He placed doubt in their minds about God. He said, did God really say you shouldn't eat that fruit? Did God really create the world in literally seven days? Come on. That can't really be, can it? Did he really send his son to save you? Jesus didn't do anything really that significant, did he? That you should live for him, really? Is Jesus really as scripture describes him? Who is this Jesus to cause me to, to change the way I live? There's a word used in scripture in, in a variety of places to describe Jesus, and that word in Greek is monogenes, monogenes. We find it in this first chapter of John in verses 14 and 18. In English, in the past, it's been translated only begotten. If we were to dig into the etymology of that word, we would see that it's composed really of, of two different words, the first being mono, meaning One or singular, and genese, which is more closely related to, related to genus, our, our scientific word for kind, right? As opposed to genatos, which means begotten. little Greek lesson for the, mor- for the morning here. Where we do find the words firstborn, or begotten, in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 15, the, the, understand that the weight and emphasis of those words, firstborn, is upon his preeminence, that Christ is first, not a physical birth. It's not talking about that. As, as the early church, very early on, said in the Nicene Creed, he is not made. Jesus is not a created being. But Jesus does have all the rights, all the privileges, and all the authority as of a firstborn son. We need to be careful to know exactly who Jesus is. Not according to traditions or the thoughts or philosophies of men, but according to what God has to say about him from his word. We need to be careful to understand Jesus because who Jesus is in truth will affect and shape every aspect of our faith from worship to salvation. Is he worthy of worship? Can he really save us? These, these, the answer to these questions lie in who he is and what he's done. In the words of C.S. Lewis, is Jesus the Lord or a liar or a lunatic? According to Scripture, Jesus is unique, one-of-a-kind, monogenes. There is none like him. There is no other like him who has ever dwelt upon the face of the earth. Verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Monogenes. One of a kind. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God, monogenes, the only God, the one of a kind, the only one who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and everything in between. He is God in the flesh. Let's grasp that idea this morning. There is no other like him. John chapter 1. Let's stand up. I'm going to read the whole chapter. I want you to see if you can catch all the titles that Jesus is given in this chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, "Who? Are you, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And they, he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. Long reading, but did you catch them all? Did you find all those titles? John here identifies Jesus as the Word. He calls Him God. The Light. The Son of God. The Lamb of God. Rabbi. The Messiah or Christ. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of Joseph. The King of Israel. And last but not least, we see Him called the Son of Man. Why all these titles? What what are all the implications of this? What is John trying to get across to us in one brief chapter? What do they mean? Well, let's deal with each of them, not necessarily in the order they appear, but let's begin with the word. The word. This is a term that John favors. We find it here in the first verses of this gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he uses it again in his first epistle or, or letter in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we look upon, looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it. And testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. We also see it in the book of Revelation, which was also written by John. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True and in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and by the name and the name by which he is called is the word of god why would john call jesus the word of god well not only was the word present at creation as God spoke creation into being and all things were created by him and for him. Verse 3, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. He was the word at the beginning through whom all things were created. The very word of God. Words also communicate, don't they? Words express one's heart and one's character. And the Logos, or the Word of God, who is Jesus Christ, He expresses to us the heart and character of God Himself. Verse 18, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Or as it says in Hebrews, And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That that word of power is his. It was not given to him. It cannot be taken to him. It belongs to him. Colossians 1. was pleased to dwell. Jesus is the means by which God has condescended to communicate himself to his creation. He is the exact imprint. Of his nature, existing of the very stuff of God, having the same nature and essence, the same character and attributes. He is the means by which mankind has interacted with God himself. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you want to see God, if you want to know who God is, you need look no further than the person of Jesus Christ. As John, the author, and the author of Hebrews, said to us, He is the Son of God. A title which was not ambiguous to the religious leadership in Jesus' time. John chapter 10. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. The idea that Jesus was God, as he called himself the Son of God, was not lost on them. Let's not try and read anything into God's word to say, oh, Jesus never said he was God. They understood full well what he was saying. And in calling himself the Son of God, They knew clearly what it meant. He is not a lesser expression of the unseen Father, but a full, complete revelation of God Himself. But as the Son of God, Jesus is not the Father. Jesus is not the Father. John makes it very clear that we worship a God unlike any other, the living God who exists as a Trinity the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is only one God who exists as three persons, co-equal, co-eternal, and infinite, omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent, all-knowing, everywhere at all times, and all-powerful. Now, this Jesus, if he is this second person of a triune God, if he is God himself, we should be able to see it in his words and deeds, shouldn't we? Now, John, in his first epistle, that passage we read earlier, said he was an eyewitness. He saw the very things that Jesus did. He heard the very words that Jesus said, and he gives us an account here in this gospel of John as to what those were. If we can't see it in his words and deeds, he is either the liar or the lunatic that C.S. Lewis questioned. Does he show his deity in his works? The things that John saw him do. Does Jesus do the things that only God can do? Well, as we read eyewitness accounts of Jesus as he dwelt among men, we see that he had had authority over creation. We read in Mark chapter 2 that he had the authority to heal a paralytic. He could take the damage that was done in that man's back and undo that. By saying, Son, your sins are forgiven. He could knit together what was broken. And he had, in that same account, the authority to forgive sins, to which all the people there said, Who is this that he can forgive sins and and work these miracles? Jesus had the authority to calm the wind and the waves. He has authority over creation in the stormy sea. We read about that in Luke chapter 8 and and other places. The same account reiterated to us. And as we saw in Nathanael last week in in our John chapter 1 and also in that Mark 2 account, he knows the thoughts and actions of men. As only God could, he knows the hearts of men those around him also recognize the authority with which he taught the things of God. He truly is the rabbi. A title that was given to him here in John by the disciples of John and also, or John the Baptist, and also by Nathaniel in, in verses 38 and 49. They, both of those verses, we see that title rabbi, which means teacher attributed to him. And in Mark chapter one, we read this. It says, and they went to Capernaum, And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Just as Satan, when he wanted to approach Job to torment him, he had to get God's permission first. Jesus being the light. He was the one who gives life to all mankind, and the one who illumines our hearts to the truth of God. He has authority over death and the grave. 1 John chapter 5:20 it says, "And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ." He is the true God and eternal life. He is eternal life. Darkness has no authority over him and no part of him. And he put his authority over death on display even before he himself died when he took Lazarus from the grave. John chapter 11 we read, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, "'Take away the stone.'" he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus has life in himself. He is the very source of light and life. And when he died at the cross, no one took his life away from him. He gave it away for us freely. No one could keep it from him. Being the very source of life, he took it back of his own authority and rose from the grave himself. He is the promise of eternal life. He offers it to us in his sacrifice at our place in the cross. His death for us, his life risen again for our hope and in his sacrifice he fulfills all the sacrificial laws once and for all because he is the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world hebrews chapter 10 for since the law When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and in sin sacrifices you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of your book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second, and that will, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. He provided the perfect sacrifice once and for all, man for man. Eternal God to cover the sin of all mankind, past, present, and future. Jesus is the Word. He is God Himself. He is the Son of God. He is Rabbi. He is the Light, and He is the Lamb of God. He is God in the flesh and the only Savior of mankind. And He's also called Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of Joseph. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of Joseph. Jesus was a common name. There was nothing unusual about the name Jesus, if you were in a crowded room and you said, hey, Jesus, probably about ten people would turn around and say, what? Nothing unique about it, nothing that set him apart from anyone around him, nothing special about it, except that it means Yahweh saves. It may have been a common name, but in the hands of Jesus Christ, it's a name with significance. He is the Savior who dwelt among us just like any one of us, who suffered like any one of us in this fallen world, if not more so. In Hebrews we read that since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He was just like any one of us in the flesh coming from Nazareth. He he fulfills that prophecy in Isaiah that we read last week, Isaiah 53. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He was not from an area of affluence or influence. He was not born in a castle to save the wealthy. He was born in a manger and presented to shepherds. As much as he was later worshipped by kings from the east. He came for all mankind, high, low, Jew, Greek, man, woman, slave or free. Although he was the son of Joseph, a mere carpenter. This did place him in the royal line, the line of David, king of Israel. He had just the right pedigree to be the Messiah, the Christ, which means the anointed one. That's a title with a a lot of depth to it. He's the one who is spoken of in the law and the prophets who had set God's people free. In the Old Testament, the king was anointed with oil. To signify that they were set apart to God to serve in that office. We see it in 1 Samuel chapter 16 when the Lord sent Samuel to anoint David. And after going through all the brothers in search of the one that God wanted, finally David came in. And God, he came in from the fields and God said, arise anoint him for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. He was anointed with oil and then came the spirit of God. But more than just kings were anointed. If we read 1 Kings chapter 19 verses 13 to 16 prophets were anointed. If you look at Exodus chapter 29 verses 1 through 7 priests were anointed. But no one until Jesus Christ actually held all three offices. In Jesus Christ, Jesus the anointed one, we see the prophet, priest, and king, the perfect trifecta of anointing. As prophet, Jesus expressed the will and the word of God in truth to us. As priest, Jesus offered the perfect sacrifice for sin in himself, man for man, but of eternal, infinite value as God took to the cross for us and in our place. As King, Jesus is the sovereign Lord over all that he has created. And we see Jesus anointed in this very first chapter of John, not with oil, but even more, by the very Spirit of God. Verses 32 And 33, John the Baptist is speaking, and John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. The threefold anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. Jesus sets us completely free spiritually as we receive the truth of God in Jesus Christ confessing our sin before a perfect and holy God and receiving his sacrifice for our sin in our place as our atonement and as our propitiation before the Father atonement and propitiation Jesus paid the wages of our sin. In our place. He's our atonement. He did it in our place. And he is our propitiation in that he assuaged the wrath of God towards our sin. So when God looks at us, he no longer sees our sin, but he sees his son. And he's no longer angry at us in our sin because it's been propitiated. It's no longer upon your head, upon yourself, because Jesus took it in your place. Politically. Jesus is our king. Yes, we still live as citizens on this earth, don't we? And we do need to abide by the law of the land, but politically he has set us free as in Christ. Our citizenship is no longer of this earth. Our eternal life is not here. Our eternal life is in his kingdom. Our citizenship is now in his kingdom. And to God we go first. To God we obey first, for we are his people. Bought by his blood. He is our king. But he didn't come in all that glory, did he? Philippians chapter 2. Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He came as the son of man. A title that he used most often of himself as opposed to the Son of God or or any of these others. It's a title that reminds us of both his humanity and his deity. Daniel, in the book of Daniel, had a vision. And in that vision he says, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. This is Old Testament. Thousands of years before Christ set foot on the earth, he was still the king which shall not pass away in his kingdom One that shall not be destroyed. He was in the beginning with God and he was God. Are we daily in awe of Jesus Christ? Do we still wonder at who he is? Do we take time to really be in awe of him? His deity and his humanity, his authority and his humility. Are we striving to grow in our knowledge and understanding and application of God's word in our life because we are, we are awestruck by God's amazing plan for our salvation through his son? Does this knowledge affect our lives and how we live them? Is, 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 is it changing your mind and how you think? Yes, he is worthy of our worship. Worthy of our whole heart, soul, and mind, because He is the one who knit them together and gave them to us. And He gave us life in the first place, and then He gave us life in the second place, eternal life through His own sacrifice in our place. Yes, He can save you from your sins and the death that we so deserve. He has the authority and has provided the perfect sacrifice perfect and equivalent sacrifice for you. Come to him today and confess him as Lord. If you want to do that, I'll be down on the floor this morning. Come to him today and then let his lordship affect your life. Let's pray. Lord, our God and our King, the one who has ascended and is standing at the right hand of the throne of God, the one with a name and no one knows but yourself. The one before whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that you are God. Lord, I pray that you would make us by your Spirit such an awe-inspired people that people would see it in us and they say, what's wrong with you? And Lord, that that then they would hear us talk and they would see the reason. They would hear the, the logical understanding and our love for you and your word and they would want to know why is it that we are such a reasonable people and so affected by who you are and what you've done. Help us to be different. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.